All right. I'm so excited about tonight. I am so excited about this message. I know when I wrestle with certain messages that God has something great in store. It just seems to be the way it is. So we're, we're, gonna, we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. And so when we go through this, I'm going to make a point. I'm going to make that same point again and again and again. And then when I'm done making that point and making it again and again and again, I'm going to remind you of the point I made, and then I'm going to challenge you in the point I made so that when you leave here, you'll have no problems wondering what the heck was that message about. If for some reason you missed it after I just gave you that disclaimer, talk to pretty much anybody and they'll say, this is what the message was about, or come see me. It's such an important word for us. It's such an important word for us. If you're not already there, go to 2 Thessalonians. Take your time. I'm not there yet either. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're in verses 13 through 17. Okay, I'm there. All right. Let me open with a couple different stories. Here's the first one. (laughs) This is kind of... Think about this. Jesus was perhaps the only preacher who made his congregation smaller every time he preached. You might say, well, you're probably the other one, Pastor Mark. He would have big crowds following him, and then he would come up with a line like Luke 14, 26, where he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And many people, I'm sure, walked away. The Bible says that those people left. Why? Because he never let the crowd control the truth. Did he? Never. Let me give you another story. An older gentleman had some health problems. He went to visit his doctor, and he was told that he needed to change his diet. The physician lectured the man on the importance of eating well and gave him a long list of things to eat and things not to eat. The gentleman called his sons to let them know that he, that he went to the doctor and about his declining health because he knew his sons would be concerned. And he explained the doctor's prognosis and his prescription for restoring good health. A couple weeks later, one of the man's sons called to check on their father. Okay, Dad, the doctor gave you some instructions a while back. How is the regimen going? And the old man replied, I've changed doctors. (laughs) Right? Sometimes our response to the truth is not a good response. That was not a good response to the truth that that doctor spoke into him. And we do the same thing. The Lord speaks to us. We speak truth into one another and we respond very inappropriately to the truth. You're probably already there, but if not, go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's read verses 13 through 17 as we conclude chapter 2. And then Pastor Drew will introduce chapter 3 to us. What do you have? What verses do you have next week? 1 through 5. Okay. Starting in verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you. We means Paul and Silvanus or Silas and Timothy. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth 
It was for this that he called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Let's pray. Almighty God, we, as always, are so incredibly grateful and humbled by your words and your word, the scripture, um, that you have given to us. Lord, it's not, it doesn't express who you are in your entirety, Lord, for you are infinite, but Lord, you've given us exactly what we need so that we can walk in truth and walk in righteousness by going through your word and by taking that serious, Lord. So we thank you for your provision. Lord, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd have your way with us this evening in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. All right. So let me ask you a question. You're not going to know how to answer this, I suppose, but are you at war right now? Are you at war right now? If you think you are, go ahead and slip up your hand. That's interesting. You have no idea what I'm talking about. That is fantastic. I think you're right if you raised your hand. Maybe this will help us to answer this question that I just asked. I want to reread the verses prior to 13 through 17. Let's reread verses 1 through 12, okay? Go back to verse 1 of chapter 2. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord, the day of judgment has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, that's the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him, the Antichrist, now, so that in his time, the Antichrist will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, the Holy Spirit, who now restrains, will do so until he is taken out of the way. The Holy Spirit's taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Let me ask the question. Again, are you at war right now? Raise your hand if you think you're at war. Those verses tell us that there's a war that's going on for souls between Jesus, the Lord, and Satan, and the Antichrist. And it's over something. What is the thing that's causing this battle that's taking place in your life and my life? What are, what are some guesses from those first 12 verses that we just read in chapter 2? Anybody want to risk? What do you think this battle is over? 
eternity, which is based on us knowing something. It's based on us knowing truth. What's false or what's true determines whether we live eternally or we perish eternally. That's absolutely correct. Look at the cadence starting in verse 12. It's really going to pick up in verse 9, 7 through 12, but really I want to, I want to show you something in 9, 10, 11, and 12. But let's start at verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. There's already evil in the world, but it's going to continue to get manifested when the Antichrist comes. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. That the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. In, in verse 9, we're going to see the word false. In verse 10, we're going to see truth. In verse 11, we're going to see false. In verse 12, we're going to see truth. And that's the cadence of those four verses. Okay, verse 9. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders. And with all the deception, verse 10, of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence that they, they will believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth. This is clearly the battle, the war, that you and I are all in every day. Oh, church, how can we possibly be victorious in battle if we aren't aware that we are in a battle? If you're not aware that you're in a battle every single day, you don't have a chance of being victorious. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. amen. Indeed, many of us, perhaps for most of our lives, we've had battles. And perhaps most, if not all of those battles, we did not or would not choose. They, they just, they come to us. Well, the battle for truth is something that we must choose daily. It's the one battle that you have to choose. I'm just warning you, you must choose this battle in your life. Others will come on their own. You must choose this battle every single day. You hear of people who are living in truth and they're living good lives and they make a wrong choice one day and they choose something false and their life derails because of that one bad day. So let me ask you this. Has your Christian walk been marked by a battle for truth? If somebody were to look at your life, would they read your, your biography and say, man, this person has lived a battle for truth from page one until page 200 in their lives? Has your Christian walk been marked by a battle for the truth? If you and I aren't battling every day for the truth then let today be the day that we commit to do so. Let me say that again. If you and I aren't battling every single day for the truth, then let today be the day that we commit to begin battling for the truth every single day. What's today's date? Our 27th? Put that in your calendar. July 27th of 2019, that was day one where I made a commitment to battle for truth every single day. I'm going to choose that battle, because I must. What's at risk if we don't? What's at risk if we don't? Go to verses 1, 2, and the first part of 3, also in chapter 2, which we've already read. We request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, 
that you not be quickly shaken from your composure, the truth, or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter, the truth, as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you. For it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. Huh. So we're going to talk about this thing called the apostasy. See, it's a for real thing. And it's not a new thing. It's not that this is only talking about the day of the Lord. I'm going to talk about that in a second. Apostasy means falling away, abandoning, or revolting against the truth. Whoa. Christians do that. It's one thing to recognize truth, to appreciate truth, to understand truth, to diagnose the value of truth. But it's quite another to be in battle for truth. To consume truth. To commit to a lifestyle or a regimen of truth. Knowing that it not only pleases our Lord, but leads to a truly higher quality of life. Let's talk about this thing, apostasy, that I just mentioned here. This is out of the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible. Two slides. Turning against God as evidenced by abandonment and repudiation of former beliefs. The term generally refers to a deliberate renouncing of the faith by a once sincere believer rather than a state of ignorance or mistaken knowledge. Apostasy is distinguished from heresy and from transfer of allegiance from one religious body to another within the same faith. Apostasy was given an eschatological significance. Eschatological, remember last week we talked about eschatology, which was the study of end times? So, let me read that again. Apostasy was given an eschatological significance in the verse we just read, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, where Christians were warned not to be carried away and deceived in the widespread apostasy to come in the end times before the Lord's return, which means it's going to get easier to fall away from the truth, or it's going to get harder to adhere to the truth, however you want to verbalize that. Okay, so this apostasy thing is not just for eschatological times, end times. This took place back in the Old Testament. Check out Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 19, where Jeremiah prophesies to God's people. He says, your own wickedness will correct you, and your apostasies will reprove you. Know therefore and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. That's what it means to be apostate. And the dread of me is not in you, declares the Lord. Isn't that interesting? We must have a dread of the Lord, a reverence, a fear, a reverential fear of the Almighty God. I love it. I want to read our verses again. Let's read 13 through 17 again. And then we're going to go through them one at a time. Okay, verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. Why? Because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in what? In the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm 
in the truth and hold to the traditions to the truth which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. So let's read verse 13 and let's talk about verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by God, the Thessalonians. Why? Because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Holy Spirit and faith in the truth. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy are expressing a joyful and continual obligation to thank the Lord on behalf of these people. Let me say that again. They're expressing a joyful and continual obligation. That's what he says. We should always give thanks to God for you. We should. We ought always. It's an obligation to thank the Lord on behalf of the Thessalonians. Why? I want you to look in that verse and tell me why they have a joyful and continual obligation to thank the Lord. Somebody tell me why you think that they have this obligation. Why? What do you think? What do you think verse 13 tells us? What's that? Because God chose them. Is that the right answer? Kind of. Thank you. That's what I would have said. That's exactly what I would have said. Let's unpack this. There are actually three things listed in this verse. There are three things that are taking place in verse 13. And they can be listed in one of two ways. Cause and effect, or effect and cause. Okay, option A is cause and effect. Option B is effect and cause. Paul goes with option B. He lists them as effect, and then he goes to the cause for why they should give continual thanks. Let me explain. Ryan is kind of right. He's mostly right. We should always give thanks to God for you because God has chosen you. That's the the effect. That's the, the thing that happened to them. Through their sanctification by the Holy Spirit, through their faith in the truth. So if you did it backwards, then that would be the cause and effect, right? So if you go backwards, because it works either way. Work it backwards. You put your faith in the truth... This is why truth is important. You put your faith in the truth. The Holy Spirit began a sanctifying work in you. And when that took place, then God chose you. Right? So one's just effect and cause. If you work it backwards, it's cause and effect. So you could argue that they have to give continual thanks to God for them always because they put their faith in the truth. They fought for the truth. They were in a battle for the truth. And so the Holy Spirit began to do a sanctifying work in them and their lives changed into godliness. And then God says, I choose you. But it all began because we put our faith in the truth. At one time or another, you and I all decided to put our faith in the truth. The Holy Spirit indwelt us and began a sanctifying work. And God says, I choose you. Mm. It's powerful. So it goes something like this. Here's what's cool about verse 13. Check this out. When we battle for truth, truth is the gospel of Jesus. 
The Holy Spirit assists us in our journey of sanctification, and then God chooses us for salvation. Wow, who do we see here in this verse? We see the Trinity, the three expressions of the Almighty God. When we battle for truth, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us in our sanctification, and then God chooses us for salvation. Now, let's connect all this back to the concept of apostasy. (laughs) Check this out. Many of us proclaim faith in the truth. That's where the end of the verse started, right? Many of us proclaim faith in the truth. But how many of us can prove sanctification by the Holy Spirit? See, that's, that's the great progression. Faith in the truth, sanctification by the Holy Spirit, and then God chooses us. Oh, yeah, I proclaim faith in the truth. Well, yeah, but can you prove sanctification in the Holy Spirit? Does your life show that you're being sanctified, which means you're maturing in Christ, you're becoming Christ-like? And this is where the danger of the apostasy comes in for some of us because we think that we've proclaimed the truth. Or proclaim faith in the truth, but we can't necessarily prove our sanctification. Scripture says that many will say to him, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Hmm. All right. So, verse 14. This is so fun. Verse 14. It was for this he called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Does that seem much different than verse 13? Paul reiterates, he repeats, he restates, he retells, which is what I just did with those four words, what he already stated in verse 13. He just reiterates what he already stated in verse 13. Why? Because it's important. When he says in verse 14, it was for this, this is the salvation he talks about in verse 13. It was for this salvation that you may, and then he says in verse 14, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how? It was for this that he called you through our gospel, through truth, right? So it was for salvation that truth is important, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, which means salvation. He's just restating it in a different way. So, Unless we are through, we are through. I'll explain that in a second. Unless we are through, we're through. In verse 13 and 14, the word through is there twice. Once in 13 and once in 14. Let's look at verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit, and that also applies to the second part, through faith in the truth. Unless you go through faith in the truth and through sanctification by the Spirit, you're through. This is how important truth is. Verse 14, it was for this that he called you through our gospel. It was for salvation that he called us through truth. Okay, Jesus himself in John's gospel, chapter 14, verse 6, said this. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through, but through me, and me means the truth. 
This is how important truth is. In short, no gospel, no gain. No gospel, no glory. No truth, no treasure. Church, we are in a battle for truth every single day. We are in a battle for truth every single day. Verse 15. So then, meaning because of verses 13 and 14. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the truth, to the traditions, to the truth which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Okay. So it starts off with so then or because of. So then or because of verses 13 and 14. Because salvation and eternity and gaining the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ are found through the truth, then verse 15 is imperative. Because of 13 and 14, then verse 15 is imperative. It's crucial. It's the most important thing in your lives. Verse 15. In other words, he's saying, since then, we are chosen for salvation through faith in the truth. And since then, we are called to gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ through the gospel. Then verse 15 becomes critical to our daily lives, to our daily struggles, to our daily grind, and to the daily battle for truth. So here's a question. Take a second and read verse 15 on your own. Just take a look at verse 15, and I'm going to ask you a question. Does verse 15 describe you? Does verse 15 describe you? And it probably does, but maybe one of two ways. Look at your screens. Does verse 15 describe you as it pertains to execution or as it pertains to encouragement. So when Paul says, stand firm and hold to truth, is that speak to you because you're executing exactly that? Or does it speak to you because you realize I need to do that? It should speak to both of us, whatever camp we're in. If you're doing it, then it speaks to you. Does it describe you as it pertains to you're executing that? Yes, I'm doing that. Well done, good and faithful servant. And as he says in 1 Thessalonians, excel still more. Or does it speak to you and describe you because you need to do that? Let's look at the two components in verse 15 that Paul displays to us. There's two components in verse 15 that Paul displays. The first one, stand firm. And the second one is hold to or hold stand firm and hold two different things clearly though they go hand in hand that's why paul put them in this sentence hold to means to to remain firmly committed to to remain firmly committed to when so when he says hold to the traditions hold to the truth hold to the teachings which you were taught it means to remain firmly committed to those things. Does, does that describe your life? How? How do you hold to the things you've been taught? Do, do you hold tightly 
God's word? Do you hold tightly truth? This is what Paul's depicting. Hold, hold it, never let it go. It means to seize it in the Greek. What are some things that you and I can be doing to tighten our grip on truth? I bet you there's some things we can be doing to tighten our grip on truth. What are some things that we shouldn't be doing that tend to loosen our grip on truth? There's probably some things for us in there as well. So we're to hold, we're to remain firmly, we're to seize truth. And then he says to stand firm. (laughs) The language here means to hold one's ground, to maintain a position, to be steadfast. This language is clearly enemy combative language. Clearly. So, in this battle for truth, let's put this verse back together. Okay? When we hold to the traditions which we were taught, in other words, getting firmly committed to and remaining firmly committed to the truth, then and only then can we stand firm in our faith and hold our ground and maintain our position. That's it. That's the only way. And then we don't have to worry whether we will be one of those mentioned in the apostasy. Will I fall away from the truth? Is that going to be me? No, don't have to worry about it. Hold, hold to, stand firm. You're going to be fine. So the question remains, does verse 15 describe you as it pertains to execution or as it pertains to encouragement? If you're executing verse 15, praise the Lord and say, Lord, keep strengthening me. May I excel still more. But if it pertains to you as an encouragement, then just pray that the Holy Spirit just fill you like never before, that you can hold to truth and stand firm all day, every day, and recognize that you're in a battle for truth all the time. Verses 16 and 17. Now may our Lord, Jesus Christ himself, and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work. And word, and so it's kind of cool. It's just it's just kind of a closing comment, but we see again the reality of truth in these closing verses. And here's what I mean. He says eternal comfort and good hope. He doesn't say comfort and hope. He says eternal comfort and good hope, which means there's a non-eternal comfort and a bad hope. There's comfort and there's hope, but there's eternal comfort and a good hope and a non-eternal comfort and a bad hope. One's rooted in truth, one's rooted in a lie. Whatever is not true may lead to comfort, but not eternal comfort. Whatever is not true may lead to hope, but not good hope. There's a lot of people seeking comfort in the wrong places. It's not eternal comfort. And they're putting their hope in something that's not a good hope. And then as verse 17 tells us, when we stand firm and hold to the truth, our Lord, as it says in verse 17, will comfort and strengthen our hearts in all that we do. This is how important God's word is in the life of a believer. We are in a battle for truth. We are in a battle for truth. Don't leave here without recognizing that you must engage in the battle for truth. You must engage. This is a battle that you have to choose. 
You have to choose. Hold to the truth, and you will indeed stand firm, as many of you already are. Amen? It's just such a critical word for us, church. We look around the world and we say, what the heck is going on? We're in a battle for truth, man. We're in a battle for truth. It's never going to stop. This is a battle that you must choose to engage in. And I pray by God's Holy Spirit that you do just that and you will be victorious and you will hold and you will stand firm. I'm so encouraged for you. I'm going to invite up the worship team and I'm going to pray us out while they're working their way up. And if you need prayer after service, our prayer team's available to my left down here in the corner. Please see our prayer team if you need any prayer after the service. Let's pray. Almighty God, I'm just so grateful, Lord. Lord, not just that you speak to us, but that you speak clearly to us. And then, Lord, you give us what we need for the things that you're challenging us to do. Lord, that we can have faith in the truth, but then you fill us with your Holy Spirit to sanctify us. And when that happens, Lord, then you choose us. And so, God, help us to recognize that we are in a battle for truth. And we thank you that we're not doing it alone. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit of of the Lord. And we have each other. Lord, the saints, the brethren, our brothers and sisters. That battle alongside, alongside us as well. Lord, thank you so much. You're so good to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.